Genesis 3 is a very important chapter. Not only does it help us understand why we live in this sinful and corrupt world, it also helps us see the wonderful grace of God. He could have let all mankind perish in sin. But moved by his grace, God initiated a plan to defeat Satan and rescue his people. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Fox Den. In this episode, we're going to continue our survey of Genesis. But to do so, let me recap Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Genesis 1 reveals God's creation in the beginning. By the power of God's voice, he created all things. It also reveals man as God's special creation. Chapter 2 focuses primarily on Adam, the first man created by God. God formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living being. God then planted a garden, and he put Adam in it to work it and keep it. Adam was God's representative on earth. God then gave Adam a command. He could eat from any tree except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he ate of it, he would surely die. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And this sets us up for chapter 3. There the serpent enters the scene. Well, who is the serpent? Well, we can tell from Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, that the serpent is Satan. Now, at this point, let's learn a little bit about Satan. First, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 calls him the deceiver of the whole world. John chapter 8, verse 44 says that he is a liar and a murderer. You see, he's the opposite of God. God is truthful and cannot lie. The devil is a deceiver and a liar. God is also a life giver. Satan is a murderer. So Satan, as the serpent, speaks to Eve and he says, Did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, can Eve answer this question? Now, perhaps sometime after God created Eve, he told her about the command that he had given to Adam. However, we're not told that God ever did this. From the information that we have, God gave Adam the command before he created Eve. So can Eve really answer the question, did God actually say? But Satan's not lying here. He just merely planted doubt. Well, after Satan asks Eve this simple question, she tells him what she understands concerning the command of God in verses 2 and 3. Now, when you compare what Eve told the serpent and the command that God gave to Adam, you'll see some fairly significant differences. For example... Nowhere does Eve refer to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it appears that Adam failed in his responsibility to protect Eve, to correctly convey the command to her. However, I'm not sure that we can jump to that conclusion. Perhaps this is a literary decision by Moses to leave out the name of the tree. Perhaps the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree that Eve said was in the midst of the garden. Eve at least had the right idea that the fruit was forbidden and death was the result of eating that fruit. Now we see Satan lie in verse 4. He tells Eve authoritatively that she will not die. That's a lie. But not only that, he implied that God was withholding something good from Adam and Eve. He then tells Eve that God doesn't want her to eat the fruit so that she won't be like him, knowing good and evil. So Eve took the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave to Adam and he ate. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and then they covered themselves with fig leaves. This is the fall of mankind, when Adam sinned against God. Now, the first thing to notice is that their eyes were opened after Adam ate the fruit, not after Eve ate. Take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Death entered through one man, not through a man and a woman. Now, let's move forward two more verses to Romans chapter 5, verse 14. And here, Paul refers to the transgression of Adam, not Adam and Eve. Now, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. In Adam, all died, not Adam and Eve. So why did the fall result from Adam's disobedience and not Eve's? Well, I can think of two reasons. First, the command was given to Adam before Eve was created. Second, Adam was given charge to work and keep the garden. It appears that Adam failed in his responsibility, and he failed to protect Eve. And furthermore, Though we don't know if there is a time gap between Eve's eating the fruit and Adam's eating the fruit, she gave to Adam and he ate. This implies that he ate without question. It also tells us that Adam didn't believe God. Had he believed God, he wouldn't have eaten the fruit. Our actions reveal what we really believe. And the worst part in all of this is that Adam didn't believe the God who cannot lie. It does appear, however, that Adam was with Eve when she was tempted by the serpent. Yet, even if there was a time gap between them eating the fruit, Adam should have vigorously refused to eat the fruit. But he didn't do that. He ate willingly, and death entered through Adam. There's an important thing to see here. Adam was our representative in the Garden of Eden. Do you ever wonder why everyone dies? Do you ever wonder why death has a 100% success rate? It's due to Adam's sin. As we saw earlier, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that death entered through one man, and that one man is Adam. Now, at this point, I'd like to take a look at several questions from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 16 asks, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And it answers by saying, the covenant made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. Posterity here means descendants, all succeeding generations from Adam. And notice also that this answer mentions those descending from him by ordinary generation. The point the Catechism is making is that those who have human fathers inherit Adam's guilt and sin nature. Jesus' father is God the Father. Remember, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he didn't descend from Adam by ordinary generation. So in this answer, we see that Adam was our representative, though we weren't yet born when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam fell, we fell. He sinned on our behalf. Question 17 asks, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? And it answers by saying, The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. There is now a shift in the world order. Before there was no fear, pain, or sin. Now sin and misery are common to us all. Question 18 asks, Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? And it answers by saying, The sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell consists 
in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Question 19 asks, What is the misery of that estate wherein to man fell? And it answers by saying, All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Question 19 rightly states our position in Adam. In him we are condemned. Fortunately, the catechism continues because that's not the end of the story. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, take a look at verse 8 and following. Adam and Eve hid from God when they heard him approaching. Why did they hide? They were friends with him. They hid from him because they knew they sinned and they saw their shame. That's the only reason why someone would hide from God when there was no sin in the land. Now notice in verse 9 that God came looking for Adam. He didn't call out for Eve. Why is that? Well, first, God knew what Adam did. Second, he called out to Adam because he had the responsibility to work and keep the garden. He was the one whom God told not to eat the forbidden fruit. So when Adam responded to God, he told God that he heard him walking and he was afraid because he was naked. And then God asked him if he had eaten from the forbidden tree. And Adam responded by blaming God. I mean, sure, he blamed Eve. It's her fault, not mine. She gave me that stupid piece of fruit and I ate. I wouldn't have eaten the fruit if it hadn't been for Eve. However, look closer. He says, the woman you gave me. It's not just Eve's fault, according to Adam. In his view, God is equally at fault. Blaming others for your sins and shortcomings goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We will do anything to take the blame off of ourselves. We will even blame God. Well, then God turns to Eve and she shifts the blame as well. The serpent deceived me and I ate. She's basically saying, don't blame me for disobedience. It's someone else's fault. That's what Adam and Eve did. Well, then God addresses the serpent in verses 14 and 15. Now, I'm going to focus on verse 15. This is known as the Proto-Evangelion, the first mention of the gospel. God said that he would put enmity or hatred between the woman and the serpent, and between her offspring and the serpent's offspring. Now, think about that for a moment. It's not just enmity between the woman and the serpent. God is going to put enmity between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. That means the serpent has offspring. And his offspring aren't little snakes. His offspring are the people who hate God and will never love him. Take a look at John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus was speaking to Jews who didn't believe him. And he told them that they are of their father, the devil. Satan has offspring. Now returning to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman's offspring. God promised Satan all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to destroy him. And he was telling us all the way back in Genesis 3.15 about Jesus, the one who would crush the head of Satan. But there's more here than merely defeating Satan. This reveals the marvelous grace of God. He didn't let us remain in our sin. Let's return to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 20 asks, Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? And it answers by saying, God having, out of his mere good pleasure, 
from all eternity, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. The first thing to see here is that the key motivator for God to act was His grace. He acted out of His mere good pleasure. He didn't rescue us because we deserved it. He did it because it pleased Him to do so. Next, notice when God acted. From all eternity. And what was this act of God? He chose some people in order to save them. This is teaching that confuses and angers a lot of people. We won't go into it now, but it's known as the doctrine of election. And people don't like this doctrine. They don't like the fact that God chooses one person to save and not another. This means that God chooses not to save all people. However, we've already seen that the devil has offspring, those who hate God and will never love him, those who do the will of their father, the devil. So it pleased God to save some, and he made a covenant with them. And this is known as the covenant of grace. And in this covenant, God promises to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. And a Redeemer is one who pays for someone's rescue. And Jesus is our Redeemer, and his blood was the payment. Now, returning to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus is the offspring of the woman. He is the one who will defeat Satan. In fact, he already has. He is the one who will rescue God's people. Well, after God confronts the serpent, he addresses Eve in verse 16, and he tells her of the consequences of sin. She will have difficulty in childbirth. But then God says something interesting. He says that the woman's desires will differ from her husband's, yet he will rule over her. This is the idea of usurpation. The wife will often struggle with the leadership of her husband, and she will struggle with submission. This is why wives often have an issue with the S word, submission. She wants to be in control, but this is a result of her sin. Remember, God created Adam and gave him the responsibility to work and keep the garden, and he made Eve as his helper, not his slave, his helper. But because of sin, she's now going to struggle with her role. Let me take a little detour here. This doesn't mean that she's lower than man. She's not lower than her husband. She's equal to her husband. They have different responsibilities. Listen to episode 72 where I talk about the purpose of marriage. Returning to Genesis chapter 3, God then turns his attention to Adam. And he tells him that labor is going to be difficult. Weeds are going to invade the world. And because Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he will return to the dust with which he was created. In other words, man will die, which is the penalty for sin. God told Adam that back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, there's one last thing I want to point out here. Notice who God cursed. He cursed the serpent. Did God curse Adam and Eve? Well, though God declared the consequences for their sin, there's no indication that God cursed Adam and Eve. The word curse is used twice in verses 14 to 19, and the first time God cursed the serpent, and the second time the word is used, God cursed the ground because of Adam's sin. I believe this is significant because God had a plan to rescue sinful man, but he had no intention of rescuing Satan. Satan is doomed, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. 
Jesus will destroy him. So after God addresses Adam, he made clothes from animal skin to cover Adam and Eve. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Their fig leaves were just not adequate to cover their shame. God's covering is adequate. You see, what was required to make clothes from animal skin? The death of an animal. However, though this is a real historic event, those animal skins only pointed forward to God's ultimate cover, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, his death, is adequate to cover all our sins. Finally, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Now, when you look at this, this seems cruel. And certainly, Adam and Eve suffered the consequences for their sins. Yet God banished them for another reason. Seems that God didn't want them to eat from the tree of life and remain in their sinful condition forever. We see that in verse 22. God protected Adam and Eve, even after they sinned against him. This is yet another display of God's grace. Let me conclude here by pointing out the differences between Adam and Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Paul refers to Christ as the last Adam. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who would come. You see the parallels between the two. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, Adam became a living being. Jesus is a life-giving spirit. We died in Adam, but were made alive in Christ. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, in Adam all died, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Here's the bottom line. Adam represented us in the Garden of Eden. His failure is our failure. His sin is our sin. His fall is our fall. Likewise, Jesus represents us even now. His perfect life is our perfect life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Genesis 3 is a very important chapter. Not only does it help us understand why we live in this sinful and corrupt world, not only does it help us understand why we age and die, not only does it help us understand why work is so hard, not only does it help us understand why there's conflict in marriage, it also helps us see the wonderful grace of God. He could have let all mankind perish in sin. But moved by his grace, God initiated a plan to defeat Satan and rescue his people. The remainder of the Old Testament is the historic account of Jesus coming to fulfill God's promise to Satan, which is his demise. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.